Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the chapel, whether you are at our Lincoln Park campus or worshiping at our acoustic service or at our Montclair service, uh, Montclair campus or at our Wayne campus or joining us online. Great to have you with us today. Um, I feel like this is one of those weeks that so much is going on in our country, in our world. There's, it's a little bit chaotic. And so um, when there's weeks like this, um, I like to just start by kind of unifying in prayer together. So I'm going to ask you to stand up one more time, if you would. We just need to seek the Lord together um, and join our voices as one toward the Lord and uh, just seek his perspective. Let's just pray together. Lord, this morning we just, um, some of us at least, feel a little bit chaotic. Uh, it seems like from, from the beginning of this week with the, with the crazy storm and the power outages and the the freak loss of life that happened with that, and Lord, with the school bus crash in Paramus, with the horrendous school shooting, Lord, in, in Santa Fe, Texas on Friday, with the chaos at the, at the Palestinian-Israeli border, Lord, there's just so much volcanoes erupting this morning, and we feel a little bit chaotic. Lord, I pray this morning against the tendency to be apathetic and to back away and, and, and not care about it. I pray today, Lord, that uh, the idea of kids being gunned down in school will never be normal, will never be routine, that it will just jar us every time. And Lord, this morning, we just cry out to you for a, a perspective of, of how Jesus would respond if he were here. Lord, may we respond like him with compassion and with, um, with engagement and involvement. But also, Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of hope that because you are here, because you are good, that good things can happen, that tragic things can be redeemed for good. So, Lord, help us to, to enter into all these things um, with a sense of hope because we've got you with us. Lord, I pray this morning that as we open up your word, you would just speak to us. And, Lord, don't let us leave here the same as when we walked in. We commit the rest of this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. So Jesus once asked his disciples a very simple question, who do you say that I am? And like a lot of things that are recorded in Scripture, that question was not intended only for the immediate audience. It was intended for every person who would come after that. Um, we're all meant to answer that question. So the purpose of this series that we're doing is to help us to answer that question intelligently and honestly by going to the seven places in the Gospel of John where Jesus himself described himself, beginning with the phrase, I am. And so today we finish the series by looking at the place where Jesus said, I am the vine. We, some of you remember last fall, had a guest speaker with us named Seth Haynes. Uh, Seth Haynes had been a successful attorney in Little Rock, Arkansas. In response to a, a personal crisis in his life, he started drinking, and he found out that he could not stop. So he wrote a book called Coming Clean, which is really his journal of how he came to understand what was going on and came to sobriety. And when he was here with us that weekend, a group of us went out to dinner and he shared a little more of his story. Um, he said that he had grown up in a very conservative Christian church. Everyone there knew the Bible inside and out. They were very um, focused on having correct doctrine. But he said, one thing that my church did not offer was any kind of experience of God. Um, it, was, it was all head knowledge. And I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said something like, when I started drinking, that was an experience. I felt something. My emotions were involved. My body was involved. 
it was like I was carried out of the ordinary into another realm. And even though I knew that it was destructive, there was something so compelling about that experience that I was getting. So for him, part of sobriety learned, uh, for him, meant learning to move beyond the dry cerebral faith that he had grown up in and learning what it means to actually experience a relationship with God. Does that, does his story resonate at all with you? For some, for some of you, probably you, you grew up either with n- no spiritual connection or maybe you grew up in a church that was very, uh, very formal, very ritualistic. They didn't talk about a relationship with God at all. But for some of you, you grew up in a church that, that did, maybe a church like the chapel, and they talked about having a personal relationship with God. But if you're honest, a lot of you would say, I never really got that. I mean, I might have used those words, but I didn't really experience that myself. And therefore, maybe you have found yourself drawn to things in life, like alcohol or like something else, because there's something in you that knows that you should be experiencing something other than the ordinary. Um, And you just haven't found that in your spiritual life. That's why this teaching of Jesus we're going to look at today is so valuable and really so awesome, because what he's going to share today is really the secret to experiencing God. So let's read the passage, John 15, and we're going to read just the first 11 verses of John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God. So based on the teaching of this passage, let's talk about two things today. The promise of the vine and the secret of the vine. All right, the promise and the secret. So first, the promise of the vine. Obviously, this whole teaching is based on a metaphor of a vineyard. So he talks about vines and branches and fruit. And obviously, you know, when you hear the word fruit, keep in mind the context, vines. So this is, you know, this is not bananas or pineapples. This is grapes that you should be picturing. And all throughout the passage, Jesus is saying, if your relationship with me is working the way it's supposed to be working, then your life will produce fruit. You will bear much fruit. So that's the promise that Jesus makes. The obvious question is, you know, this is, this is obviously a, a, a metaphor. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a word picture for something. So what does it mean to produce fruit, to bear fruit? Imagine with me a man coming home from work on a Tuesday night, typical day at work, he gets home to his, his, uh, 
his house, he's married, he's got a couple of kids. On this particular Tuesday night, the sky starts to turn black and a storm starts to roll in. This should start to sound familiar to you. And so um, the rain starts and pretty soon the power goes out in his house. He realizes the power doesn't seem to be coming back on anytime soon. So he goes into the garage and he finds the old gas generator that he hasn't used in a long time. And he takes it outside in the rain and he tries to start it, but it doesn't work. And so um, he, he works on it a little more and then finally he gets the, the thing work. He goes around and rummages and finds some extension cords and he starts plugging in the generator to the refrigerator and a couple of key lights in the house that he thinks he's going to need. Um, he's, he's walking around getting the house ready for the storm. Fifteen minutes later, he's soaking wet. That different parts of the house are starting to get dark. He hears on the news that the power probably won't come back on for another 24 hours or so. And the whole time, everyone in the house is avoiding dad. Why? Because everybody knows when this kind of thing happens, dad gets irritable. He yells at the kids. He snaps at his wife. He curses his shabby gas power generator as he envies his neighbor's Generac gas power generator or natural gas power generator. So everyone just kind of keeps their distance from dad. But this night, something is different. As he's plugging in the lights, he's kind of cracking some jokes. He offers to make dinner for the family. He helps his son hook up his Xbox to the generator. And at one point when they're going to bed that night and blowing out the candles in the room, his wife looks at him and says, what have you done with my husband? (laughs) Or imagine this, a college student comes into her apartment and she walks past her roommate's bedroom and she stops for a minute because there's a really unusual sight. Her roommate's bed is made. The room is clean, which is very unusual. And then she sees her roommate in the bathroom getting ready, and she says, hey, where are you going? Her roommate says, well, I'm meeting somebody for lunch, and then I have class, and then I actually have an interview at the campus bookstore for a job there right after that. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's so out of character for this particular girl because for months she has had no energy, no motivation. She's been missing a lot of classes. She's been sleeping in way too much. And her roommate says to her, wow, I'm really happy for you. Why why the change? And she says, you know, I'm kind of reconnecting with my faith, and things just feel different. Two regular people, a married guy who has a short temper and a college girl who struggles with depression, and something is changing in them. And the people who know them well are starting to wonder, how is it that this person who used to always be like that is now becoming like this. In place of anger, there's patience. In place of despair, there's hope. I think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about bearing fruit. There's a place in the New Testament, you might be familiar with it, where this is really detailed out. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This, if you haven't memorized this, you should press this into your brain uh, this week. It's that important. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Jesus says, you will bear much fruit, this is what he's talking about. It's the character qualities that flow out of our lives and affect really everything, right? I mean... Having these things in our character or not having them affects everything about us. It affects our our job and our school 
and the way that we react to difficult people and the way we use food and alcohol and how we respond to tragedies and illnesses, this affects everything. And if you're like me, there are some areas of your life right now where there's not much fruit growing. And that lack of fruit is causing problems in your life. So take just a moment here before we go any further and look at that description and ask yourself, where do I desperately need this in my life? Kind of make a note of that. What, what, is, what is the one or two things on that list that if I had that in my life right now, it would transform the way my, my week looks. It would be a blessing to the other people that I interact with in my life. Just kind of make a mental note of that. Some of you are going, man, it's self-control. Clearly self-control. Or it's peace because I stay up all night worrying. Or it's joy because I, I, I never seem to be able to find happiness in the moment. What are the one or two things that you desperately need? Jesus once said, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, if you pay attention, you can tell the reality of what's happening in a person's inner life by what you see on the outside. Over time, um, it, the truth comes out. You can see the fruit of someone's life. And in this passage, Jesus is describing a way of relating to him that produces that fruit. Um, you might not actually believe this is possible for your life, but it, it, it very much is. Um, this is the promise that Jesus makes. Of course, the question is, well, how do I get this? So let's talk about the secret of the vine. Point number two, the secret of the vine. You might not have realized it, but this metaphor of the grapevine is very significant biblically because if you go back to the Old Testament, that image of a vine is often used to describe the nation of Israel. Uh, in the book of Psalms, in the prophet Isaiah, there's several places where God, I'll paraphrase, God basically says, I've planted this nation. The nation of Israel is my vine, and I'm expecting fruit to come from that vine. So back then, if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you had to connect with Israel, right? So either you were a, a, uh, a natural-born uh, Israeli person, you were an Israelite, or you could connect yourself as a proselyte to the nation of Israel. The vine, the place you connected with God, was Israel. It was about your national identity. When Jesus came, something changed. Look what he says in the very first verse, John 15, 1. He says, I am the true vine. That would have meant something to a Jewish hearer. In other words, the people of God are no longer defined by a nation. I'm now the vine. So to be part of God's people means that you connect with me, says Jesus. No matter what nationality you are, I am the vine, and my people are like branches that grow off of me, the vine. You with me? Shifts from national identity to Christ identity. So this teaching now is all about how we as branches, no matter what our national identity, how we relate to Christ, the vine, and it teaches us three things about how this connection works. First, first part of the secret is depend on his power. Depend on his power. Um, let's look at that negatively first. Last part of verse 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I used to have that, just that phrase written on a little yellow sticky note next to my desk on the wall for about 15 years in my office. Finally lost its adhesive and fell off, but it, by that time it was just seared into my brain because it was such an important concept for me. Um, so here's what it's saying. If my attitude in life is, I got this, 
If my approach to hard situations and hard people is, I can handle this, I'm gonna dig deep inside myself because I'm educated, I'm experienced, I'm street smart, I'm a successful person. Jesus says, if that's the way you approach life, if it's all about, I can handle this myself, independent from me, you can't do anything. I mean, or you can do things, but the point is everything that you do will be tainted by pride and self-interest. It won't be the kind of things that have a lasting impact and that really help to change other people's lives. If you want to bear any real fruit in your life, you, you're not going to do that apart from me. So that's, the, that's kind of the warning. That's the negative part. Here's the, par the positive part. Look at verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It's repeated enough times, right? Apparently, the key to bearing fruit for us branches is to remain in Jesus, the vine. If you're reading a different translation of the Bible, it might use the word abide instead of the word remain. It's translating the same Greek word. I think for modern language, maybe the easiest way to say it is it's talking about staying connected, the branch staying connected to the vine, us staying connected to Christ. Most of us probably don't have vineyards in our yards, right? I mean, I know it's a little bit trendy now to you know, grow grapes, but probably most of us don't have them. So I was trying to think of some more relatable examples of this concept. The first thing I thought about was electricity. Um, this last Tuesday night when the power went out, all of a sudden our houses stopped remaining in JCP&L, right? All of a sudden the flow of power from JCP&L was cut off from our houses. And so if you were to ask my 14-year-old son on Tuesday night how that affected him, he would say, apart from electricity, I can do nothing, you know? <laughs> like read a book or something. It didn't go over so well. But then I thought, all right, electricity, that's, kind of, that's kind of similar, but electricity is a little bit impersonal. Uh, maybe we should think of it like a baby who's connected with his mother by what? The umbilical cord, right? I mean, that's how he remains in or abides in mom. And you moms know this. If you're pregnant, you can't, you can't drink too much caffeine or alcohol or spicy food, right? Why not? Because anything in you is going to flow to your baby, and it's going to affect that baby that's inside you. Apart from you, mom, uh, apart from his connection to you, your baby gets nothing. He doesn't grow. He doesn't produce any, any, you know, any new cells or whatever happens when a baby grows. His life depends on his mom. Um, I like that a little bit better. But then I thought, but there's nothing physical that connects us with Christ, right? Like there is an umbilical cord. It's more of an invisible thing. Um, and so maybe we should think of this like Wi-Fi. Maybe that's a good, good illustration. Like think about it. You're sitting on your bed with your laptop or with your cell phone, and nobody can see it, but it very much exists, this signal that's in the air that's being received by your device. And because you're connected to that, your laptop can produce much fruit, sort of, right? Apart from that, you can't produce anything. Maybe it's sort of like Wi-Fi. Or maybe we should just stick with the example that, that Jesus chose. Um, the source of life, the true power, comes from the vine. So if branches have any hope of staying alive and of bearing fruit, they have to stay connected with that vine. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to bless the lives of people around you, if you want to produce things in life that last and that count, you have to stay connected to me. How do you do that? I think first and foremost, it is an attitude 
It's a mindset of real-time dependence, awareness, um, consciousness of Christ's presence with you because he's alive. (laughs) Guys, this is not just a concept. He came back from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and he's alive, and we can have an actual relationship of mindfully remembering that he's there and depending on him so that his life and his energy and his love flow through us. Share something recent. It's something very personal. It was about two weeks ago, and I had a couple days for whatever, who knows why we go through certain moods and things in life, right? Probably a complex thing. But I was just kind of raw. <laughs> it was like my anger was a little close to the surface. And I don't even know why that was, but I, you know, I snapped at my wife a couple times. She did not deserve it at all. And there was a moment when um, something was happening and, and she got me annoyed about something. And, and um, I, I realized I was going to a bad place. I wasn't going to react well. And I literally, we were, you know, around the house doing stuff. And I stepped into another room. And I I prayed like a two-minute prayer, but it was a super important prayer. I just said, Lord, I don't have what it takes to respond well to this right now. And Lord, I need your power and your life to flow through me. And I literally held up my hands in a posture of receiving, um, which I think can can really reinforce the words that we're saying. I just said, Lord, I need, and here's why why you should memorize this verse, because you use it a lot. I said, Lord, I need flow your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control through me. And I just stood there and I allowed God's presence to become a reality to me. And I could feel after that prayer, I could feel, not to sound too mystical, but I could feel the, the, the tension and the rawness begin to melt away as I yielded myself to a power that's greater than I am. I don't know if you guys can relate, if you guys ever get mad at your wife or like if anything like ever happens with you, it's probably only me, but I need more than I've got to deal with what life gives me. And there's this mindset of dependence of saying, apart from you, I'm going to blow it. I'm not going to do this well, but with you, I can do big good things. So the first idea is learning to view yourself as incapable of producing any good fruit, anything of value, and then in faith, offering yourself as a vessel for the power of Christ to flow through you. Depend on his power. But also, we need to submit to his pruning. To his pruning. Second part of verse 2, it says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. What does that mean? I'm not an expert on, on horticulture, but I know that if you want healthy fruit, there are times that you have to prune. You have to cut off a lot of the growth that's there so that the, the, the sap and the energy from that plant um, can, can maximize the, the, the crop of fruit that happens, the, the amount of it and the quality of it. So in order for our lives to produce quality fruit, sometimes God takes out the pruning shears and it hurts. Um, the book of Hebrews talks about the same thing. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Listen, no discipline, think pruning shears, seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces kind of the same metaphor. You see what it produces? A harvest of righteousness and peace 
for those who have been trained by it. So if you believe that God is in control, you can be confident that anything painful in your life has a purpose. Um, it's God pruning. Why would he do that? Because he likes to see us writhe in pain? Of course not. It's because he's passionate about producing a harvest in your life. Um, and like it said in verse 8, back in our passage, this is to my Father's glory that you produce much fruit. It honors God. It blesses others when we produce fruit. Pruning. Maybe God has recently removed something from your life, and it hurts. Maybe your body is giving you trouble. Maybe you just got some really bad news about something in your world. Those are the times, I believe, those are the pivotal moments that really determine what you believe and you have to decide whether you will resent that thing or whether you'll recognize that God is in it and allow that to make you more fruitful. Pruning makes us more fruitful than we would have been otherwise. Depend on his power, submit to. It's an attitude of how you react to, submit to his pruning. And then third, we need to obey his commands. Obey his commands. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Um, th this is really straightforward, but I think this is the part that keeps this whole thing from being a little too mystical and removed from real life. That if we want to have this remaining, abiding relationship with Christ so that his fruit is produced in our lives, we have to respect him enough to do what he says. So we can't claim to be remaining in Christ if there are obvious areas of our life where we're not willing to obey him. For example, Jesus says, forgive your enemies. And you say, I'm not gonna do that. Because this person hurt me and I don't think it's fair to expect me to forgive. And so, you know, I hold on to the grudge and then I wonder why there's not much fruit coming from my life. Well, the reason why is because I'm not remaining in the vine because part of remaining in him means it's not just this mystical thing of depending on him. It means you actually do what he tells you to do as best you can. Or Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And I say, yeah, but Jesus didn't live in North Jersey. And so anytime it's time to be generous, to give toward God's work, to give to those in need, you're just a little tight-fisted because you're always concerned about your future and you never kind of break free into that generosity. And you go, I wonder why I'm not experiencing this, this relationship, this experience of God, this fruitfulness in my life. Well, because there's a clear thing he's calling you to do that you're just not doing, and it's, it's blocking the flow of, of his fruitfulness. It's part of what it means to abide in the vine. So here's just a simple gut check. Ask yourself, is there any area of life where Jesus has made God's word so clear and I'm resisting that. Maybe it's a forgiveness issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a sex issue or a marital issue or an alcohol issue. And what I'm not saying is, have you reached perfection in this area where you never sin? What I'm asking you is, is this an area where you go, hands off, God. I'll do these other things, I'll be a good Christian person in these other areas, but hands off this area of my life. You could find that if there's an opportunity for you to repent and sort of let the light shine on that area, I think you might find that's been the blockage that's blocking the flow of the power of Christ to really open up and produce fruit in your life. Depend on his power, submit to his pruning, and real simply, obey his commands. One of our, our former pastors, Ron Rombo, 
sort of specialized in one-on-one discipleship. And so um, he would regularly meet with guys on a weekly basis and help to ground them in the faith. So if you came to Ron and you asked him, hey, I want to grow as a Christian, the first thing he would do in his discipleship is he'd bring you to John 15 and he would teach you how to remain in Christ. If you came to Ron with a marital problem or a, a personal problem, the first thing he would do is take you to John 15 and teach you how to abide in Christ. Because he realized without that connection, it's like the power goes out. It's like the umbilical cord gets, gets blocked. It's like the Wi-Fi goes out and, and we can't do anything. I think Ron was onto something. This, this truth has meant a lot to me personally too because look, I've been to seminary, I know the Bible reasonably well, but without the experience of a relationship with Christ, this faith of ours dries up pretty quickly. I don't care how many verses you can recite, I don't care how many times you've read the Bible, without a relationship, the whole thing gets cold. I don't usually, um, I don't usually quote scholarly uh, Bible commentaries in sermons, that's kind of the background work, um, but it's usually a little bit dry, but I'm going I'm to quote one this morning, one of the commentaries that I, I read this week. Uh, Gary Burge, in his commentary on John, s- said this. Listen to these words. This means, so he's been talking about this whole concept, remaining in the vine. This means that Christianity is not simply about believing the right things, though this is important, nor is it simply a matter of living a Christ-like life, although this is important too. Christian experience must necessarily have a mystical, spiritual, non-quantifiable dimension. To be a disciple means having a supernatural interior experience that is completely unlike anything available in the world. It is a way of believing doctrine and a way of living ethics, but these are nurtured by the life-giving connection with Jesus Christ. I love that. Because what Seth Haynes did not have as a kid was that. Right? His church experience was all doctrine and ethics, but no experience of the living Christ, and it left him ice cold. That's part of what led him to drinking. If we were honest, a lot of us would say the same thing. We were never taught or we never took seriously this offer of Jesus to experience his presence and his life and his power in tangible ways in our lives. You know, this whole series that we're finishing today is called, Who Do You Say That I Am? And maybe you've always said that Jesus is a great moral teacher, he's a great spiritual leader, or maybe you've been saying that he is your savior who went to the cross for you. But you honestly don't view him as this living vine who flows his life through you. And therefore, here's what's happened. When you've had stressful moments in your life, um, like when you're fighting with your your old gas-powered generator in the rain, or if you've battle with depression like that college girl did, or when you're struggling with anger like I did last week, maybe you say a polite prayer, but it's not with this sense of anticipation and expectation and open hands, knowing that the very life of Jesus is about to flow through you. And today, Jesus is inviting you to connect with him and experience him and bear much fruit. It's interesting, the very last verse in today's passage says, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be complete. Think about the context, guys. Jesus spoke those words just hours before he was arrested and beat up and executed on a cross. He knew he had really hard things in his future. He knew that his followers had hard things in their future. 
He knew that God was going to have to prune them in some painful ways for them to keep growing. So when Jesus talks about joy here, he's not promising them some prosperous, healthy, luxurious life in the days to come. He was offering them something better than all that. He was offering them joy. And there's just no better word to describe it when you are connected with the living God of the universe and you find yourself doing things and thinking things and saying things that you could never do or think or say in your own strength. There's such a, there's such a, a power in that and such a satisfaction in that. The only word you can really use to describe it is the word joy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay connected to me and you, we, will bear all kinds of fruit. There is no better way for us to end this message and this series than to come around the communion table together. So communion servers, would you please go back and get ready to serve?